Welcome to Tech Talks, the technology podcast with David Savage and Jack Pierce, publishing on Mondays and Thursdays. This is the show packed full of interviews and debate with technology leaders for the love of tech. On today's show, we are talking to Reham Sati. She is the founder of Mevitai. Uh, but before that, hi Jack. Hi Dave. You've been paid. We've been paid. <laughs> so last time we would have been paid was something like the 21st of December. Uh, yeah, yeah, it and was because it was my birthday. We got paid on my birthday. There you go. Um, and I, I bought all of Rosie's presents before that, you know, to be smart. Wise. Yeah. But then I was also a fucking idiot because I was like, oh, well, I haven't bought anyone else's presents. So let me buy Rosie's three siblings, parents, my parents, my sibling, and I think I bought a present with a bottle of wine from the granddad as well. So I ended up spending about nearly 200 Even if you plan ahead. Mm-hmm. Christmas is just expensive. Yeah. Uh, over £100 in taxis when I was back home. Wow. For three or four nights out. Yeah. Wow, in it's Colchester? Not, yeah, in Colchester, yeah. That's yeah. a lot of taxi journeys, because nowhere in Colchester is no, that far. But, well, so Rosie's, I was staying at Rosie's parents um, out in Bures, which is on the Essex-Suffolk border. Mm. So every time I went out, even for a couple of pints <coughs> in the evening, I'd have to get cab home because trains are shit in Essex. So yeah, it was, I mean, we've, I made it just about, oh, also a funny story that I haven't mentioned to you yet, I was a victim of fraud last week. You were? Yeah, so... Uh, I had a message from Lloyd's, and I must take this opportunity to say Lloyd's fraud prevention team are incredible. About five years ago, I was a victim of fraud, and the money left my account. <laughs> this time, it didn't even leave my account. Someone tried to spend £360 of my money, Elemis Limited. What? Male beauty products. Oh, well, Jack, anyone who knows you knows that that's perfectly you know, so, plausible. Which is the, what, what the woman on the phone said. She said, I'm looking at your profile here, Mr. Pierce. You know, you're 26 years old. You live in London. It's not unfeasible that you would spend this amount of money on beauty products. And I said, just do me one favour. Look at how much money is in my account at the moment. Do you think I would be wise to spend £360 on beauty products at this time of month? She went, definitely not. I'm just doing my due diligence. And they got it sorted. So yeah, big thumbs up to Lloyd's. They were great at helping me out. Didn't actually spend that amount of money on beauty products. I don't even think that equates to my years spending on beauty what, products. What, what, what was the product again? Well, it didn't actually give me the exact... What, what, what but the it? company was called Elemis Limited. Well, if they're listening to the show, we've, yes. got, we've got a few listeners. Maybe Jack should trial some of your beauty products on our technology podcast. It fits perfectly. It, yeah, I mean, I was doing products for about a year and never got sent any freebies. So, Elemis Limited, if you're listening, I will trial your products on this show. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, look, we'll, we'll get stuck into today's interview. It is with Reham. Um, as I said to you uh, in the intro, she is the founder of Mevitai. She's an academic who's jumped into the world of technology. Okay, all this is this is very much uh, around AI, machine learning, uh, natural language processing. So, hope you find it interesting. Stick with us. Afterwards, we'll have a chat, and then we have some news. So on today's show, we are joined by Reham. Reham, uh, you are the co-founder of Mevitai. Yeah. Um, do you mind explaining who you are and, and what Mevitai is? Good question. I always debate who I am. <laughs> <laughs> kind of existential, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. let's go into the philosophy of things. Um, so I yeah, run, co- run co- co-founder of Mevitai yeah. um, and CEO. I've been running that since 2014. Mm-hmm. My background is nothing to do with recruitment whatsoever. Um, in fact, did medical engineering first, then Imperial, then did neuroscience at Oxford. So I come from kind of an academic background yeah. and jumped into this whole tech space and learning 
love the idea of applying cutting tech and innovation to kind of complex problems. And yep. the one that we fell into is HR. And it's a funny story of how we got into that, but that's another debate. And um, it's around how do we optimize decision making um, in the HR space and using technology to do that. And specifically recruitment talent or talent acquisition. Yes, talent acquisition. And it's purely because it's, HR is one of those very fragmented spaces where you have companies on one side, recruitment agencies in the middle, and you mm -hmm. have candidates on the other, and there's a candidates-driven world. And it, you see all these other sectors that's been kind of driven from, with tech, you know, healthcare, education. Recruitment's one of those spaces where you want to see much more change in and try and improve how choices are being made without any unconscious biases, without you know using the data and using di digital identities to actually be able to find and shortlist top talent. And that's what MeVitae is all about. And we spent about four years developing this technology to be able to do that. And you liaise largely with HRDs and its yeah. internal talent acquisition for, la for, for companies who are hiring on in, in numbers. Yes, in volumes, yes. But where, where is, you know, when, you, when you're tackling a problem, where is the crux of the problem? Is it, Ooh, yeah. you know, is it that, to be perfectly frank as an ex-recruiter, I can say this, is it that recruiters do have a lot of pent-up bias about what is and isn't appropriate for a particular organisation? Where, yeah. where's, where's, where's the issue? So I, I had this debate and I've been yo-yoing yo around it. I think it comes down to two things, right? Mm. The first one is the way the industry is structured. And the other is how our brains think. Right. And together results in this array of issues. So every year there's tons of topics. So, you know, this is the top challenges in HR today. Or, and they usually kind of fall into buckets of, you know, talent retention or acquisition or how do you prevent bad hiring or finding people that suit the culture. There's a whole list. Mm. And fundamentally it comes down to, to either our brains and how we make decisions. Now, when you see a piece of paper on kind of recruitment space, you see a CV. Yeah. In that couple of seconds or minute, let's say, you're instantly judging that person, whether they're suitable. Oh, I, I can and, say, I can say with absolute clarity that, yeah. that I opened a CV. Yeah. You know, I, I was a, I was a hands-on recruiter for the best part of ten years. Mm. I would open a CV. Yeah. I would very quickly flick down to the most recent job they were in, yes. see if it broadly yeah. matched what I was looking for, yes. and then flick straight back up to the phone number and yeah. start dialing that person before yeah. taking in a huge amount of other yeah. information. Funnily enough, so we did this experiment, and we were really curious to see if that was the case, um, where we scanned recruiters' brains and um, using kind of EEG technology, and we um, used eye tracking to see where their eyes were looking. Mm. And in most cases, it was the name, the contact details, yep. the job title, and yeah, the most recent job title. Because, especially in contract recruitment, yep. or sorry, rather in, in perm recruitment, if that person is more than 50 miles away from wherever you're looking to fill the role, you yep. immediately think, well, there's problems around commutes, etc. Precisely. And then the other one is the actual company name that they've worked for, the most recent role they worked at. Um, and that was consistent every single time that we saw that. Which is crazy for the industry when it's such a small talent pool. Precisely. And we need to broaden it. We do, but the thing is, is, I'll give you an example. So all of a sudden there's a hype around data scientists. Everyone wants to hire a data scientist, right? Mm. And so everyone says, okay, I need to look for a data scientist. And, you know, if you go on LinkedIn, you search data scientist or the closest thing to it, let's say computer science, right? And everyone's looking at that kind of talent pool and that narrowed mm. sense. But 
there are complete transferable skills that are related to data science that you can look into. So, for example, physicists, physicists or geologists or mathematicians, for example, can make fantastic data science. So you can ex expand the, the talent pool. Yeah. But it's finding out what the overlap of skills are between those those areas. Now, I've always argued that it's not actually the fault of the recruiter because I think it's very it's easy to, to blame the recruiter. Oh, actually, I, I, I think I think it has more to do with the relationship between the recruiter and the person that they're hiring for mm -hmm. because there were instances where I found CVs that on paper were not what they were looking for, oh, yes. but because I had a good enough relationship to talk to the manager and go, actually, this person could do the job because of X, Y, and Z, yep. it's exactly to your point there. Yes. So I suppose when you're selling your piece of software, machine learning, or, yeah. or and we'll come to AI machine learning in a minute, yeah. but I suppose it comes down to how open-minded they are in terms of, you know, and, and this has been the problem for God knows how long in yeah. the industry, how open-minded are you to someone that doesn't tick X, Y, Z box? And that's an individual case, right? And that's mm. why you have to you have to use technology that's personalized to the, the hiring behaviors and the patterns of that individual recruiter. Yeah. Because some people are completely open-minded to kind of that and some that are not. And you have to be able to adjust to it either way. And I think that's the most important bit. Everyone is, this is the thing, everyone is so different, right? Individual, you know, we all have our own personal traits, what we like, what we don't like. And that's what everyone is, it's, that's how we, how we are and who we are. And so I think it's, there is no answer to that because we have to think about it as a case-by-case -case situation. So how does MeVitae actually work then? So, good question. So how it works is we don't have a front end right. for technology. It plugs into ATS systems right, that companies and large organizations use. The system will take the job spec um, that uh, an employer is looking to hire for. Let's go again for the data science as well, uh, and it will dissect that job spec into every single possible component, the location, the, the job title, the, uh, what the responsibilities you're looking for, and use external information to kind of back that up. Mm -hmm. right? And then it takes the CVs of these applicants. So when you say external information to back it up, kind of... So it will find out, you know, let's say you're, you're hiring someone with, you know, you want someone with two years experience in computer science. So we'll go and find out what does computer science mean? What skills are in computer science? Right, okay. And it does that kind of at the microscopic level. Okay. And it does the same thing with the CVs of the applicants that are applied. And it will go and go, what, what's their job title? How much does that correlate to what they're looking for? Um, and this uses kind of a lot of kind of external data um, to do that, but also natural language processing. And I kind of touched on this before in terms of what we're discussing is that Keyword matching is what a lot of people are used to. You know, if the words sales on one on a job spec and sales on, this, on a CV, they match. But sometimes people describe what sales is on their CV as opposed to say they do sales. So it's taking these kind of using natural language processing to overlap yeah. the two things together and quite, kind of create a mapping of fit, right? And it's using that NLP and it's using that data to do that. And then it anonymizes components of that CV that are associated with biases. It could be age, gender, sexuality, etc. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. Right? As long as you can do the job, yeah, yeah, yeah. those other information is completely irrelevant. Um, and gives you that kind of anonymized CV, gives you the scores. And then after that, from the kind of the who's been hired, who's not been hired, etc., it starts to learn the behaviors to see 
what companies like, etc. How do you keep bias out of the system then? Because if it's uh, learning who yes. they hire, I mean, who they hire, yes. still there is inherent bias in 100%. the hiring manager. Great question. So there are different ways you can learn or kind of learn information, right? Yeah. If you learn if it's a male or a female, um, if you learn if they you know went to a certain university you could pick up biases but if you learn certain facts right if you learn skill set overlaps right as opposed to these kind of other subjective information yeah then you that way you can prevent and minimize the biases that you're learning from so what we've kind of tried to call is kind of fact-based learning so you're learning absolute facts that you know are not subjective and that's what we try and pick up in the learning process as opposed to all these other information about mm. age, gender. And because we've anonymized all these CVs and anonymized these kind of things that are associated with biases, we've completely eliminated that from that process. I, uh, do you have stats? Uh, or I assume you probably do. But yeah. in, in terms of how inclusive your process is using, yeah. that, using that software versus traditional. So... I do have stats, but I can't release them until the press right. release comes out. Um, but I can tell you all in all, we've done this kind of for a while now. And as a process, it's increased diversity numbers. Yep. Um, it's more accurate than you know current standards that have been used. Um, mm. The efficiency of the, the process as well has increased drastically. Uh, so in terms of kind of ROIs and stuff like that, the... The technology and, and the process that it's kind of impacted in these organizations I couldn't even have predicted that to be honest so you're building relationships with HR managers mm. heads of talent um, you're coming and talking to them yes. and you're an AI business yes are you met with skepticism or are you met with someone that goes fantastic that could that could revolutionize our business both um, and that's because the stigma that AI and machine learning comes with. Out of interest, and this might be really stupid, but NLP, natural language processing, yeah. how do you, would you put that in the AI camp or, or the machine learning camp? Uh, yes or no. I, I would put it in the, in, in the AI camp purely because there's machine learning involved and AI involved in NLP. Right. Um, so you can use certain machine learning techniques to learn and train the NLP system. So I okay. would consider it. The... Skepticism comes with the word AI, right? Everyone suddenly goes machines versus humans and that whole debate. And so that's why we kind of say, okay, we what we do is around augmented intelligence. We're not replacing people. So so it's less a it's less a is this really AI? Yeah. And more of a prejudice against is this technology beneficial? Yes. Wholesale. Yeah, I would say so. And I think it's purely because you see all the news around all the media that all these articles about you know, it's going to take our jobs. In fact, I think Oxford University said that I think it was 25% of jobs were going to be replaced by robots in the next you know, decade or so. That is one issue. But other companies or, or HR directors I speak to, I was like, yes, this is what we're looking for. This is exactly what we need. And so it's a combination, but I think it's also who you individually speak to. Some people embrace technology. As some are, how do we minimise the risk? And so we always let them test it out and go, okay, you do it your way, we'll mm. do it ours, and we'll compare it like for like and see what happens. And I think that reduces the barriers and goes, okay, this is beneficial. And But I think it's just the way that the industry is shaped. It's, it's a people 
industry, right? mm. behind every company is people. To say that machines can help is very, very confusing sometimes. And so it's around kind of how to, and a lot of my conversations around giving talks around kind of the neuroscience of recruitment and how our brains work and etc. really does help in kind of educating the market and, and people around how this can be beneficial. Yeah, I mean, what I don't understand is people's attitude towards it. If you, if you can frame it as augmentation, I mean, we, we had Babylon Health on the show um, mm. in, in early January yeah. and Dr. Hannah Allen at uh, Babylon Health was saying, look, I'm a medic, yeah. but if, if AI can help me diagnose and give a better service yeah. to my patients, yes. that's that's a benefit. And I suppose it's a similar thing that if you're a recruiter, internal or external, yeah. and you have a piece of software that allows you to shortlist a better pool of candidates, yeah. surely that's a good thing. I would say so. <laughs> Interesting enough though, we were both out in, in Lisbon for Web Summit. Yes. And um, you said that people were apologizing for yes. describing themselves as AI. Yeah, I got apologies. I was like, sorry to use this word, but I'm going to use it, AI. Or I'm really sorry, but we use machine learning. And it's, it was the first time I've, I've noticed it. it was, I've never had to apologize for using machine learning or artificial intelligence in anything. But because it's become such a kind of a buzzword. Was that by people that, cause, I mean, that do AI? That do, do, do understand it. Because I could understand, it. I could understand someone who doesn't really understand AI. Like I don't. If I'm perfectly honest, I, I would need a textbook definition of AI to put myself on on firmer yeah. ground. Yeah. So I might apologise to someone like you if I was throwing out the term AI and maybe yeah. maybe it wasn't yeah. correct. But for someone who does understand it to apologise, it's just bizarre. It is. I just I couldn't fathom the idea. It was very very confusing, and no one's ever apologised that I know of it's just when we were there I just yeah picked it up it's interesting um I think it is just because AI is kind of a, a buzzword and you know people you know think of it as a buzzword you know how much do you use as AI how much do you use it people are trying to quantify mm. that and it's very very hard to do and every company uses it in a different way but to have and you know say sorry but we we'll use the buzzword it's it's Weird, and we went to the Web Summit in Dublin in 2015. It's been in Lisbon for three years now, hasn't yeah, it? So yeah, so I think it was just, it was the last year that they had it in Dublin. And AI was, and machine learning was thrown around a lot, but no one apologised and said anything. It's just purely because I think how things have evolved and technology's evolved over the years. Yeah. That it's, there's been a shift in mentality and how people think. So if you, if you were giving advice to people who work in AI... Yeah. And they're dealing with uh, large enterprise organisations. Mm. How would you position AI to help break down some of that prejudice? A lot of people think, okay, in 10, 20 years, AI is going to be doing my job. And that is because how kind of media has portrayed it, right? Um, I think was it Stephen Hawkins that said that kind of AI could be the end of mm. mankind if, if you know, we're not careful. And... Because that's thrown around a lot, a lot of people think, oh God, AI, machine learning, robots, and this whole debate is starting mm. to emerge. My stance is that AI here is here at the moment to help, to help us be a bit more efficient and do things that could save us time. Right? And for example, like you said, if it's helping a shortlist candidates, so that means I can spend more time interviewing. Mm. To me, that's efficient. And it's 
we're here to kind of optimize and augment and make us better as opposed to replace us. Yeah. And I think that's the way we should position it. And, and that's why I tell a lot of people it's, and you know, I, I say it's all about IA as opposed to AI. And I think that's very, very important at the moment. And it's in every single sector, not just in recruitment. And just to make sure people understand, IA is? IA is augmented intelligence. Yeah. So it's man plus machine, um, as opposed to AI, which is around this whole man versus machines. Look, it's been really good to talk to you. Likewise. Good luck for, uh, for the year ahead. No, likewise, thank you. Now, look, obviously I found this interesting because it's talking about something that I have got experience of for over a decade in recruitment. And, uh, and you proved that you were a shit recruiter in that interview as well, <laughs> didn't you? Ten years. How did they let you get away with doing this job after ten years of just looking at someone's name, looking at their recent experience and then calling them? You're awful, Dave. Look, I'm joking. I know how good you were as a recruiter. I, I think, I think though, there's a serious point there, which yes, is um, how can you adequately screen out bias? And I will mm. be self-critical mm. when that is your modus operandi. And yeah. it, it was, it was just built upon. You know, I, I, I would claim to someone that after eight, seven, eight years of being a recruiter, I had a good gut feeling. And yeah. I don't think I was biased. No. I tried to always be very, um, you know, give, give anybody a particular, give anyone a chance and just have a look at the core skills and whether or not they were relatable. But to be perfectly honest, I wouldn't have been able to correlate what was on paper in front of me with external information. And there... Yeah, I love that. There, this platform does something that I think is truly revolutionary yeah. for the recruiting uh, industry. If this is a piece of software that plugs into an ATS, not just have you got that know-how about, well, is it simply matching yes or no, but even if it isn't matching, let's think about all the other associated overlapping yeah. uh, soft skills or maybe even some other hard skills yeah. that, quite frankly, I wouldn't have known would qualify someone even with the years experience I had. I mean, the, the example that Rehab gives about uh, data scientists and, you know, they are hot at the moment, it's a hot role. I would not have known that a geologist possesses the same skills. And geologist was the word I wrote down was in it? my notes. There because, you, you know, physicist or... or, or yeah, yeah, fair you enough. see a bit more, yeah. We kind of expect the sciences. And, yeah. yeah, exactly. But geologist... I know. Rocks. Dr. Ross Geller could do it. <laughs> so we're He's not a geologist. Uh, paleontologist. Yeah, that, that's so, a, there's a lot of crossover. What, there. rocks and dinosaurs? Yeah, it's the same shit, Dave. Rocks and fossils. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, but... The, I mean, interdisciplinary skills are something that is always sought after but never really focused on. Yeah. Um, and we've spoke about this in before, and this isn't really linked to Mivitae, but hiring on potential is such a powerful thing to be able to do. Mm. And I actually got into a massive tw um, LinkedIn argument the other day because I've got this thing now, sorry to digress, but I've got this thing now where every time I see a Richard Branson quote on LinkedIn, I will respond with a David Brent quote. And that just led like us down a rabbit hole of abuse. So I got told I had rose-tinted eyes because I quoted a David Brent quote in there. And no, it just didn't really fit right with some people. But anyway, that's language. I, 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 what I do really like is the fact that um, she acknowledges that obviously AI is going to have learned behaviour. Yep. You know, we have discussed many times yep. the Reddit psychopath. Yep. Um, but they've been able to kind of create this mapping fit and then anonymize mm. the cv so the biases is is, is all learned the by the bias uh, sorry the bias that uh, um uh, an ai could learn is all subjective but they've taken that out so mm. it's fact-based learning mm. 
that's interesting. I think that's a really powerful tool for this industry. And simple too. Like how many times do we say what an amazing solution based on something quite simple? I mean, you cannot, I don't care if you are the Dalai Lama or the Pope, you cannot eradicate unconscious bias. You're actually naive to think that you can, I think. Mm. So to give that, to, to augment your unconscious bias with, with movie tally, makes so much sense to me because everybody has unconscious biases. I don't want to work with anyone that supports Tottenham. That means nothing. But It's a bit of a shame that producer Ryder does. I know, the dirty boy. Anyway. Um, but yeah, you know, this, this happens. Um, and it just, it's, oh, I mean, this, this product is just so good. And I love that she's not afraid to kind of challenge... You know, Oxford University, for example, in the next decade, 25% of jobs are going to be replaced. And that builds on that Stephen Hawking yeah. fear that, that AI is going to destroy humanity, potentially. But, you know, she talks about we're not replacing, we are aug- mm. augmenting. And she talks about IA, um, augmented intelligence. Um, and it harks back a lot to what we've been talking about in recent weeks with the likes of, of Dr. Hannah Allen and how yeah. a doctor is being augmented to mm. provide a better um, uh, service for the patients. I think we mentioned it in the interview, um, and 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 I, and I guess you know it it stays true to the facts that HR and recruitment in particular um, is a people industry. And yeah. as she says, behind every business are people. So mm. you need people involved. You mm-hmm. need people to understand that that what makes people tick. Yeah. But if you can augment that decision making, it's a good thing. This is just like. Um Oh, Luminance, Miss mm. Folks. Emily Folks. Emily Folks. So what she was saying with, with the lawyers, you know, this is going to take away scouring job boards, the boring processes that you have to do before you get to do the fun part of recruitment, which is meeting candidates and talking to them, meeting clients and all that stuff. You're going to have more time to do the fun part of the job because it's augmenting the shit part of the job. Yep. And, I mean, I love her point, and, and you mentioned it as well, you know, you met with scepticism or you met with wow, and it's kind of like a bit of both because of the media's negative portrayal of machine learning and artificial intelligence, something which winds us both up to the back teeth and yeah. we as well, you know. We know that AI isn't going to take away 25% of jobs. It's going to augment those jobs, not take them away. Oh, of course, and look, AI probably will take away some jobs, right? We, yeah. we know that. But at the same time, it's going to create opportunity for people. I mean, look at the last revolution or whatever, you know, factory workers, a lot of their work got taken away by machines. You know, all those big sort of robot arms, uh, you know, another good visual joke from me here. Yeah, Jack. Jack's doing some interesting What's it on the carousel sort of thing? It comes down, does it, packages it. And then, you know, that job used to oh, be humans. I, I thought for a minute you were going to talk about the claw. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> but, but yeah, I mean... We can't advance as a species if we don't incorporate tech into our lives. Yeah, yeah. We know that. Look, I also found it fascinating that she's gone to Lisbon and people are coming up to her and apologising for using the word AI. What the fuck is that about? But it, and I don't know, it was the, the thing that, you know, during the interview that I, I, could, I kind of couldn't get out of my head was, was, hang on a minute, is this people who don't really understand AI or is this people who understand AI? And if it had been like, it's people who don't really understand AI. Which I get, yeah. 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 But when it's people who understand AI, oh. apologising for using the term, that shows what a ridiculous fucking negative influence the media's having on the portrayal of, of AI and, and the general perception of, of how it can help us, right? I've got a theory about this, right? And it is very loose based on nothing but Murdoch <laughs> this should be good you know my problem with Murdoch right? a lot of Murdoch's 
money, revenue, whatever comes via printed press. Right. Now he is shit scared that the printed press is dying. Yes. You know, it's all going digital, it's all going online. So what would you do to try and safeguard that scaremonger? Yeah, and, and let's face it, the the um the printed press have long talked about that industry being a race to the bottom. Yeah. Um and I think it's not just a race to the bottom in ways to make money, but it's a race to the bottom in unfortunately the way that the news is reported. I mean it's we're 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 in a we're in a funny position at the moment because I don't think there's been a starker contrast in generations between Gen Z and baby boomers as we've ever seen in the human race. I don't think the gap has ever been that big. Mm. And until the baby boomers either <laughs> Careful now. No, sorry, yeah. Until the baby boomers either admit, text the way forward and appreciate that and own that themselves. They will be dinosaurs. We are making mass generalisations no, here. There, that no, this is a fact. <laughs> no, we, we know that startups, in particular, uh, can can often very much benefit from having someone with oh, more absolutely. experience help them out. You know, yeah, we're not saying yeah. that all baby boomers are, are dinosaurs, no, but no, no, as no. a mass generalisation, they are. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, there there is there is a real gener- generational divide. In fact, I was watching a video on Twitter this morning um, with AOC talking. Um, oh, the uh, New York Oscar Democrat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always see. I always see. I think Alex looks like Chamberlain, by the way. <laughs> no. Yeah, uh, and she she was talking about the fact that you know, um, people in positions of power right now don't know how to relate to Gen Z because Gen Z's standpoint is in twelve years you're going to have destroyed the planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. And the people in positions of power right now. Right now don't seem to care they just want to try and keep the wheel spinning like Brexit yeah and that's what I'm saying there's been no bigger disparity in our lifetimes between the generations and no one at the either end of Gen Z or, or, or Baby Boomer wants to make that connection together yeah. we isolate ourselves from these people and you know you get stupid millennial opinions like mine saying all Baby Boomers are dinosaurs which is just not the case but by and large buy into yeah, yeah. Gen Z and Millennials because guess what Children are the future. I think it. I think getting back to the, to the interview at its core, mm. AI is gonna be really divisive and yep. it's gonna scare people. And the only way that actually um, it's gonna be positive in the way that it's actually implemented within enterprise mm. is if people cross generations and cross um, various mm. different minority groups come together and work together to collaborate and to make sure that actually. The, the positive messages and, it, and its positive user cases cut through, like some of the stuff that we've mentioned recently, like Okra helping yeah, young yeah. people, like the Prince's Trust using natural language processing to, to help stop suicide cases, you know? Um, and, and the fact that there is an industry of experts afraid to use the term for fear of looking like they don't know what they're talking about because uh, they're just using a buzzword mm. is crazy. Mm. And we have got to get away from that. Yeah. Yeah, don't apologise for your business unless it's Cambridge Analytica. Nice, nice. Anyway, I think that should bring us to to our advert break, uh, to the end of part one. Stay tuned, we've got a couple of articles to share with you in the second half of the show, uh, but we'll talk to you soon. So Jack, are you getting over the January blues? Have you got New Year's resolutions? Uh, No to both. Well, two books that might be able to help you come up with some, some... Targets for the new year. Yeah. The Art of Life Admin by Elizabeth Emmons. Okay. Available on Audible. That's a new release. And The World's Fittest Book by Ross Edgeley, uh, the cover of which will shame you into the gym. 
He's a very really? cheap man. Ah, uh, they might have used an old stock photo of me for that then. I don't think so. No. He's about three jacks wide. Wow. Yeah, but they're new releases on Audible that might help you ease into the new year in a positive frame of mind. I'll give them a go. Welcome back to Tech Talks. Um, I will go first, Jack. Be my guest. Uh, this is taken from The Guardian. It's by Alex Hearn and Michael Safi, um, based in Delhi, and that I think is important given the subject matter. Okay. Uh, WhatsApp puts limit on message forwarding to fight fake news. Okay. So I said that kind of obviously the fact that he's based in Delhi is is significant. Um, there's been obviously a lot of reporting of how fake news and misinformation being spread on messaging platforms has had absolutely tragic and terrible consequences in um, murders, you know, against people who've been falsely accused oh, of sexual uh, assault, etc. Jeez. Obviously, when we think about the Brazilian election, oh, no fine. traditional, no traditional spend by the current president. But Tim Lewis was sitting down with him. Well, Tim, what's his name? Tim Cook or Tim Lewis? Who's Apple? Tim Cook. Yeah, sat at a dinner table next to the Brazilian president. Oh. Yeah, saw on Twitter today. Um, did he look pleased? They looked happy enough, which yeah. is worrying. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, a lot of his campaign messages were spread on WhatsApp. Um, WhatsApp is a wonderful tool. Mm. I think it's a really interesting move, though, because typically speaking, um, a messaging platform is not going to limit its reach and its ability to be able, for people to be able to communicate because it's likely exactly. to turn users off yeah. and allow them to find other platforms. Mm -hmm. But they have decided that you can only forward a message to, to more than five individuals or groups on the new messaging. But they have decided that you'll be blocked from forwarding messages to more than five individuals or groups under new, under new rules. Is this talking about the sort of relatively new function of WhatsApp whereby someone will put something in your chat and then you can literally just forward it to another chat? Or are they talking about actually downloading articles and sharing it? So the five receipt limit was initially put in place in India last July. A larger limit of 20 recipients was put in place globally. They said at the time it was to help keep WhatsApp the way it was designed to be, a private messaging app. Um, to give you some more context, we settled on five because we believe this was a reasonable number to reach close friends while help prevent abuse. In India, WhatsApp's market, um, sorry, WhatsApp's largest market, with more than 200 million users, action was taken after the spate of 30 lynchings across the country that were blamed on um, messaging uh, using, using the app. The mob killings, which often follow fevered warnings that children, child kidnappers were targeted in a particular village or city, not a new phenomenon in India, but analysts say that inflammatory rumours were being spread faster and more widely than in the past. Now, what's going to stop... Right, say I've got my thing I want to forward, and I've, I've maxed out with five people on WhatsApp, why wouldn't I just send it to my Facebook messenger? Why wouldn't I just text it to them? Why would I email it to them? What well, no, this, that, that was my point about, you know, this is quite an, an interesting move because WhatsApp are opening up the possibility that someone will go to another platform to get yeah, the message out yeah. there. But actually, that's fine because they're doing something good yeah. about this first and I think it should put pressure on other messaging companies to follow suit. Will they then let MI5, MI6 government access it for potential terrorist groups who are talking to each other because they still don't do that, right? Yeah, they don't, but then yeah. at the same time, if you put a backdoor into an end-to-end encrypted system, yeah. then that's a backdoor that someone else can exploit yeah. and that's not as cut and dry as sometimes the media can make it, yeah. can make it seem. 
I mean, we, we fake news is as powerful as news now, you know. I see everything on the daily mail as fake news anyway, so, you know. Well, look, let's, let's, let's be honest. Unfortunately, things are cut up into such short... Um, sound bites. Sound bites yeah. that people consume and are spread so widely that Boris Johnson is able, during the referendum campaign, wow. to stoke fears about Turkish immigrants and then to have a speech in front of a JCB digger and claim that he never did it. Yeah, uh, he's able to just lie and go and get away with it effectively. We, we, people are able, you know, Donald Trump is the the, the best. Yeah. Let's face it, just bareface lying he is because the they know that the the short clips will just get shared and it's like Teflon. Yeah. Anyway, so I thought this was a positive move. Yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. I'd highlight it. I thought that that was a case of uh, WhatsApp leading the way, and let's face it, WhatsApp is by extension Facebook. Um, they've come under a lot of pressure in the last year, so it's yeah. time that they start cleaning up their act. Yeah, it is. Good. Uh, should we move on to mine? Yeah, I think we've exhausted that. Netflix would lose 57% of their subscribers if they added commercials. Now, this isn't new news, but Netflix are looking to put commercials into... Into shows or at the beginning and end? Uh, does it matter? Yeah, I think so. Because I think I think it's between... So say if you're watching... I think and I don't know this because I've not read it but I think it's between shows so like when you're binging five episodes or whatever between shows you will get an advert that I could cope with and I don't understand the stat if that was the case well I think, you're I think paying if, for the service it's like if the BBC introduced it yeah but you're paying a very small amount for the for the amount of, no, more than, no more or less than a TV licence no but if, if you're paying like £7.99 a month or whatever it is right um and you are, we are consuming show after show after show. Mm-hmm. Sky is God knows how much. Oh, yeah. I mean, no, no. Um, so now TV is the same price as Amazon Prime. Is yeah, and, and, and I think if there was an advert during a show, that would fundamentally change yeah. the dynamic of the platform. I think adverts before and after shows, I, I think that's analysts being overly overly scared. The, the point is, let's face it, Netflix has got a film, a Netflix original film, up for Best Picture um, at the, at the Oscars. What? Roma. Run all the uh, Alfonso Cuarón film. You know, yeah. I mean, that, that, they're, that they're producing amazing content. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think we talk about Netflix more than any other TV channel, radio station, whatever. You know, what did you watch on Netflix? We are always talking yeah, about. Yeah, it used to be Sky Atlantic and yeah. now it's Netflix. Yeah, and you know, Netflix is brilliant. I, I just, I, I mean, that number, 57% might be hyperbolic or over the top, but they will lose users via, via this because... You know, everyone I, likes it because it's not advert. Will they lose users at the rate that they acquire new ones? Or will they? Will that money be covered by advertisement? You know, when they drop off, when users drop off, that money will probably be you know made up by these adverts. I don't know if it's going to be Netflix show adverts, but let's say for example, you're watching Sunland Until I Die. Between episode three and four, you see an advert about advertising a TV show at the weekend, Antics Roadshow, or whatever. Is that going to put you off? Probably not. Well, I wouldn't have watched it in the first place. Oh, I love Antics Road Show. <laughs> All of those rat rubbish TV I love. But I mean, for me, I would be put off Netflix by this because this isn't the service I initially bought. Look, I am going to stick by any network that decides to cast my childhood crush as Margaret Thatcher. Who? Gillian Anderson. Ah, uh-huh. Scully. Have you seen her in... Um, she's really good in Hannibal too. Gillian Anderson. Are we talking about Hannibal? Yeah, oh, that's great. Again, on Netflix. Wasn't that Jodie Foster? No, that was Silence No, 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 that was Silence Sorry. Hannibal the series, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Dana, Dana Scully. 
So you're your oh, uh, X-Files, yeah, you're a yeah. big Gillian. Oh, no, my, my, my major crush is my girlfriend, if she's listening. But then after that, it's Karen Mulligan. Yeah, but you've got to remember that, you know, I'm slightly older, so mid-1990s, I was just becoming a teenager and the hormones were probably... Worst the use of the word slightly there. <laughs> anyway, I think that should do for today's show. Yeah, probably. Um... Happy payday. We hope you're having a love time, lovely time spending all of your money. Just Don't be, worry. Beware, right? Yeah, now, this I know this goes out on the Monday, but people at Harvey Nash and Tech Talks Limited, we got paid on the Friday. Even though February is the shortest month in the world ever, it's still five weekends before the next payday. Thanks, Dad. Yeah, that's it. We still haven't got Wage Stream here yet. Yeah, exactly. 